I'm Ken Hemmings, and he is Chris Lang, and welcome to another of these regular property briefings. Again, a warm welcome to you, Chris. Oh, I'm, I'm glad to be back with you again, Ken. Last week, we talked about tax benefits, and this week... I'd like to explore the secrets to added value after you have purchased your commercial property investment. I seem to recall you referred to this as super growth when we were establishing what should be considered your eight key investment objectives. Would you mind explaining some of the ways our listeners can add value to their properties over and above what normal market growth may provide? You know, I never cease to be surprised by this, but There are still many investors in commercial property who feel that they simply have to purchase the property, settle on it, file it away in the filing cabinet, and then when they decide they want to sell, that they're going to maximise their return or their their capital growth from the property. But that sort of set-and-forget philosophy really sells yourself short as far as extracting maximum value. And so... That's where that super growth that you mentioned comes in. And there are three or four strategies that that you can look at which can be implemented progressively after you purchase the property. The most obvious one is the idea of refurbishing or upgrading the property. Now, in many respects, if the property is in good condition, it's not wise to to embark upon those in the first 12 months because then the tax department may well consider that to be an enhancement to the property and actually form part of your initial cost base rather than be claimable as a deduction, which we discussed in some length last week. So you need to look at those. But what I'm suggesting is that over the the ownership of the property, you ought to be making sure that the property is kept up to scratch Uh, But where you have the opportunity to actually improve it from the tenancy point of view, there might be a rent review coming up and you want to start well in advance of the review to to be showing some interest in in upgrading the property, whether it's just the garden or painting the outside or in some respects the tenant should be responsible for the painting of the property. But generally that that, that is constrained to the interior of the property unless they are the sole tenant. But just spending a bit of money on the property not only enhances its value, but it puts the tenant in a good mind when you come to the rent review because they feel that you're not just trying to extract every dollar you can out of the property without actually contributing anything to it. And so when you get a higher rent, that adds to the value of the the property. So obviously, as I said, that's, that's the first and most obvious one, the, the refurbishment or the upgrading. Perhaps the less obvious is the subdivision of the title. And what we're talking about here is a property that may be a single floor that can be subdivided, or it might be multiple floors that can be cut into separate titles, or it may be a say in the case of an industrial property there's a building and there's a piece of land beside it just simply carving off on a separate title the spare land beside it can offer you the opportunity then to either when you sell it 
provide flexibility to the next purchaser or get a permit on that vacant land and sell that off separately so that having bought the property, you then can recoup some of your outlay and improve the return from the amount of equity that you have remaining in the property. So the concept of cutting the property into smaller titles, it it means you're effectively, you buy the property wholesale and you can create smaller titles so that when the time comes to sell, you can sell it from a retail perspective, not retail in the shopping sense, but the wholesale retail concept of buying in bulk and then subdividing it to add value because there are smaller components. And even if you do sell as a whole, as I said, the next purchaser has the comfort of knowing that if ever they get caught short, they can sell off one or two of the additional titles without having to sell the whole property. So that's the second method. The third one may not be as obvious, and that is to ensure that you've got your essential services compliance right up to date. Now, there's a couple of reasons for that. The first one is obviously security, but the other one is that you want to make sure that your property is the latest up-to-date condition that is required under the statutory requirements because this means that from your tenant's point of view, they feel comfortable. Again, it shows your interest in the property and in, in make sure, sure that it does comply. And if the lease is structured properly, quite often you'll find that you will be able to pick up the cost of the uh, regular inspections that, that have to take place. Now, the requirement for a landlord to comply with the essential services regulations came into effect in July 1994. And it means that you have to identify all the compliance with standards and frequencies of inspection. You need to keep hard copy of records of the uh, inspections on site. And also you have to complete and display the annual essential services report and the occupancy permit in the building itself. Now, it it reflects on things like exit pathways, uh, maintenance of air conditioning and lifts, compliance of electrical works, and so forth. And while it may initially seem somewhat confusing and onerous, it's important that you effectively meet all your obligations. And the fourth way to add value is, is to implement what's called a preventative maintenance program. Now, you have a building consultant come in and map out a program going forward based on the economic life of the plant and equipment, things like lifts, air conditioning and any other components within the building. And then you can progressively spread your program over several financial years to help meet your cash flow capabilities, but also by doing it progressively, it will enable you to maximise your tax deductibility for these components because instead of waiting until it breaks down and replacing it and becoming a capital item, by taking progressive steps over time, not all of the work on each component falls in one financial year. It's spread over several financial years and enables you to do that. So... That's something that's really 
worth pursuing and uh, getting a preventative maintenance program in place. A couple of other things you might consider would be also perhaps renegotiating an existing lease. And it may be that the tenant you know wants to, it only has one option or it may not have an option, may have the existing lease and perhaps the tenant wishes to sell their business and assign the lease and they come to you and say, look, uh, we're looking to to sell the business, would you grant an additional five-year option? Well, that gives you the opportunity to say to them, well, yes, I will, but we notice that the annual reviews don't exist in the lease. There's only a market review at the end of the lease. We would like to introduce uh, 3% per annum automatic increases. Now, there's a trade-off there, and the tenant, for the extra amount of money they'll get by offering the additional five-year security may well be well worthwhile them granting that 3% per annum. And the argument, you say to them, look, the 3% per annum means that at the end of the lease there's not going to be a huge increase to market because it's happened progressively over the period of that lease. And finally, you can look at changing the use of a property. It may start out for a ground floor property to be an office type use, but because of the zoning, it could be changed into a retail use. And retail rents generally seem to be higher than office rents. So hopefully that covers a few aspects in relation to super growth. When you talk about subdividing the property, what happens if it already has a, a strata title when you purchase it? Yeah, look, again, Mistakenly, most people feel that when you have a strata title property, let's say a strata title floor in an office building, that's as far as you can go as far as the subdivision is concerned because it's already subdivided into the separate floors within the building. However, that's not the case. When you look at the title for a, a owner's corporation managed title, you notice that there are a list of unit liabilities and unit entitlements, and each title has an allocation. Now, when you have the surveyor come in and further subdivide the floor, provided that the aggregate of the unit entitlements and unit liabilities of your subdivided floor does not exceed the figure already allocated within the existing title arrangement, then you can, as of right, further subdivide that floor. The problem only arises if, if you end up creating some additional open space where you, you then would have to go to the owner's corporation and seek approval for them to take over responsibility for that additional open space or common area. But other than that, you do have the right to further subdivide a floor that is already under a strata title arrangement. I imagine that ensuring your building complies with essential services requirements is crucial, and it sounds as though it could become rather onerous. Apart from improved safety, are there any other benefits you gain as a property investor? Well, you could argue that knowing that 
the compliance for safety reasons and the well-being of your tenant ought be enough. But what I find is that you can actually turn the compliance requirements into a marketing advantage. And the reason I say that is that if it's done properly, the records are well kept and you have to have them on display on the property itself. And there are sometimes they are so large that you can nominate that they can be held in another designated spot. It could be the managing agent or builder's office or your office if if that's appropriate. But what I'm saying is that all the records are held in one spot and they can be made available for inspection. So any prospective purchaser at the point you come to sell can review all the documentation and see that everything was done like clockwork Every six months they are inspected. Every year there is a a full compliance report. All these services have been well maintained and kept in top working order. And as a result of that, they don't start guessing or second guessing what might be wrong with the property. I've seen, and this is one of the, when I'm looking at it for a larger client property, that's one of the first things I like to have inspected is, is the essential services compliance documentation because if that's sloppy that tells me a lot about the property and how it's been maintained and so what it means to have it all in order is that the assumption rightly or wrongly is that if if everything is in tip-top shape as far as the compliance is required or concerned then you don't as a purchaser, go looking for other problems within the building. I mean, you might come across some other problems, but you don't go seeking them out because you can see that the the statutory requirements have been complied with to the letter and it puts the building in a much better light from the market's point of view when the time comes for you to sell. As I'm listening to the various aspects you've just outlined, It could start to create a fair amount of work for investors, particularly if they own two or more properties. So how would you suggest they prevent overextending themselves? Obviously, the more properties you have, the more involved it becomes. But even with one property, I would counsel you to engage a competent managing agent. And what I tend to do with my clients is that depending on the type of property and where it is, we then source the most appropriate managing agent and have them engage. Because the sort of things you gain from having a managing agent is that, I mean, their role is to make sure it's fully occupied. And the, you know, the starting point is getting good tenants up front, but then having the, the market spread to reach out and replace the tenants. They also bring to it a, really an investor mindset because they think of your tenants as like your partners. I know they're paying rent and, and paying for your mortgage. And so they act as though the property were their own if they're good. They also make sure that the tenants pay on time, but they also preserve value because they can implement the things like the preventative maintenance program and get that sorted out so that it all happens on time 
they keep records for tax purposes and supply it to you on a monthly basis and take a lot of the worry out of your concern for owning a property. And the statutory compliance, as we said, they do this day in, day out, is, is organising the inspections. They just, for all their buildings, have a, a roster and they, they just make sure that they happen on time and they know what compliance is required. They are right up to date so that you don't have to keep reading all the statutory bump that comes out. And they are there to protect your interests. And, I mean, you've got to understand, they have professional indemnity insurance. If they haven't done the job you've engaged them to do, you have recourse to them so that if, for whatever reason, you might get sued, and God forbid, but, you know, things happen, you have recourse to them because they were the ones who were engaged and paid to do the job of making sure that your building complies. But also, they're proactive when it comes to things like rental reviews. They get to the tenant early, giving plenty of time to renegotiate their rent. Also, when your insurance is about to expire, they'll get quotes for that. And also, one thing that most people overlook, every four years, councils revalue their properties and uh, that sets the basis for land tax and council and um, the water rates. So what's important is that you have a window of opportunity to actually object to the valuation. And again, a good managing agent will, they all happen at the same time, they will review all the rate notices when they come out of the rate assessments and they will advise you as to whether they're correct or not and whether you should lodge an objection. And if they recommend lodging objection, more often than not, you'll find that you'll be able to get a reduction. Now, I know the tenant may be paying those, but you want the tenant to pay more rent. And if you can keep the overall cost of the occupancy down through outgoings that you have some control over, then it reflects for your benefit at the time of a rent review. And the other aspect is that they will come to you with advice on the things like the refurbishing and subdividing and and things like that so that you can work with them hand in hand to not only maintain your property but to improve it and take a lot of the legwork and administration off your plate so you can better focus on acquiring more property or if if, uh, property investing is not your main activity you can focus on your main business work knowing that the, the properties that are generating you this extra growth and income are being properly looked after. In an earlier podcast, you recommended our listeners ought to conduct a, a, a formal review process for each property every four years. How does this program for adding value fit with that time frame? Yeah, look, I did earlier recommend that there's a four-year formal review, and that doesn't change. I think it's important that everybody sit down with their properties and make a decision that they want to continue to hold those properties. It's a conscious decision. Now, when we talk about adding value, I have a an underlying philosophy that at the end of 12 months after you have purchased the property, you need to, from that point onwards, make sure it is in ready-to-sell condition. 
In other words, you need to look at the things like subdividing, you get that underway pretty early because the time taken to subdivide a property could be, depending on, on the complexities, anywhere from 6 to 12 months. By the time you come up with the subdivision plans, then gain the council approval for those, lodge them with the titles, the title issues. There may be a little bit of work that you have to do, building work to make the property comply if there's, uh, say, disabled access or things like that. So there is a timeline that's running. And the time to do these sort of things is when you're in no hurry. So what I'm saying is that you need to implement a lot of these programs so that at the end of the 12-month period, the property, as far as the market's concerned, is ready to go. So there's no mad rush if, for whatever reason, you find the need to sell the property. Now, that's, I'm not advocating selling the property, but I'm saying that that's the attitude you need to adopt. Instead of deferring it and deferring it and sort of go, we'll get round to that in a few years' time, that's not the way to do it. Going into the property, you need to have an attitude of, I'm going to have the property in tip-top condition within 12 months and maintain it in that condition. Now, there may be some upgrade works that you can't do until the tenancy expires. I understand that, but you can program it. It may be you need a permit for them. You can get the permit. And there are a whole range of issues. Even a preventative maintenance program that's not fully implemented is a selling point at the stage when you come to sell the property because they look at it and say, well, you've done all this part of the program, here's the rest of it. It's easy to quantify, because when there is an unknown, I mean, things like, as we said, if statutory requirements aren't met, people will assume a figure and generally double it to make sure that they're not out of pocket. And the same with if there's maintenance items that are clearly not done, they will assume the worst. Whereas if you've got a preventative maintenance program in place, and it's been quantified, that is a fixed figure and it doesn't get blown out of all proportion as far as the next purchaser is concerned. So, yes, four years is important, but with the upgrade or the added value super growth exercise, you want to have everything in place, if not implemented, by the end of 12 months. This has been a fascinating discussion. And I suspect probably something to which most investors don't really pay enough attention. So I'd like to thank you, Chris. And I can't wait until we get together again next week. It's been my pleasure, Ken.